All right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I'm here with resident film snob, Calvin. Hello. <laughs> is that a better introduction than former guest, Calvin? I feel like they're about the same. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're talking about a Guillermo del Toro film, Chronos, uh, which is his first feature-length film. Uh, and one of the reasons we're doing that is uh, Nightmare Alley comes out soon, and we want to watch that one. Yeah, December 17th, actually. Yeah, and so it's we wanted to pick a couple of out of his filmography to go over before that one comes out. It's kind of nice to get a little background on some of the stuff he's done. And this one being his first, it'll be nice to see how far he's come. <laughs> yeah. From Kronos to now. Uh, yeah. This, yeah. This movie had a, a budget of $2 million. It actually went way over. It was supposed to originally be like uh, like 1.5. And <laughs> it kind of ballooned up out of that. And then it only made like, uh, I think I got 620000 yeah, something something really low like that. It uh, did not come close to recouping its cost. No. And which is unfortunate because I think he makes good movies, but I think he just really missed the mark on this one, which is it makes me happy that this wasn't like his only go that he got to have. Because then I think you miss out on other good stuff that he's done. So and yeah, and it's interesting. Like a lot, of, a lot of people love this movie. Like it's on uh, a lot of people's best uh, horror movies of all time. Um, I think it ranks on some list at like ninety six out of a hundred, um, which I just find very strange. Uh, I don't think that Guillermo del Toro is a good filmmaker at all. Okay, I think he's a really good world builder and a really good storyteller but not a good filmmaker. I, I I can see that because, I mean, like I really like Pan's Labyrinth, uh, but I think I like it for like its setting and maybe not necessarily the story that's being told. Well, see, I, I like it for its setting. I like, uh, I like it for parts of the, the story that are being told, but um, he's, he has a very Hollywood sensibility about the way he films things. Um like there, there are ideas of symbols, ideas of themes that he that he insinuates, but he never builds uh, an image that really supports any of the thing that any of the things that he's going for. Um, and we'll talk more about that. We're we're planning on doing Pan's Labyrinth eventually, but right now we'll we'll concentrate on Kronos, which suffers from a lot of the same problems. Yeah, I think this. My first impression is like it's a boring but also vague story that really forces you to rely on the characters. And if you don't like the characters, then this movie is going to be really tough to get through. That's yeah. the story. Isn't really the point of this. And which is good because it's not a very good story. Yeah. It's very monkey paw like esque in terms of like you gain immortality, but you also gain these, uh, these consequences. And so, yeah, that, that that's my first, that my problem with this too. It's like, it's big ideas and stories, uh, but it lacks in finer details that really round out uh, a believable and engaging experience. I think, I don't think that like Guillermo del Toro's films are kind of about human experience, but none of the characters are very human. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it is kind of interesting that you bring up the characters not seem very human. Um, uh, the De La Guardia characters, Angel and his uncle, mm-hmm. they were actually like, um, they're supposed to seem like kind of caricatures of Americans because Guillermo del Toro was annoyed that Hollywood always kind of stereotypes Mexican characters. And so he wanted to really kind of play up like the Americans, like uh, like Angel, he's like obsessed with like his image and having money. You know, like that kind of uh, to to stereotype Americans only worried about like their success and stuff like that. I actually think that's interesting that you bring that up because they are kind of goofy in this movie that I think is supposed to be taken seriously. But they're so like they seem to not fit in this movie at all. And that's the reason why. That's so 
that's so strange that he decided like I want to make caricatures of other, but I want to be taken seriously as a yeah. filmmaker. It's, it's trying to make a statement in, but in the wrong setting for it, I think. And I think that's just the, all of the problems that I have with uh, Del Toro films is that they're trying to say something, but he, he doesn't understand how to say it in a film. I think he'd be, um, I know that he's written novels and things before. Like, I think the strain uh, is built on, around a novel that he wrote with someone else. Um, the There's an FX show called The Strain about vampires. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's a Del Toro thing too. But yeah, for as far as filmmaking, he leaves out, really important bits um and doesn't create well-rounded characters that's, that's what i'm talking about like the vagueness to the story but it's not vagueness in an intriguing way it it's like i'm always like wait a minute so why are they doing this thing like what's the motivation here yeah i have a whole section we'll talk about later like what is uh jesus Grease's motivation in this movie i don't understand what his character is really doing at any point because it's just there's a general vagueness to the plot of this and that's why I'm saying, like, you need to like the characters. Otherwise, this is a slog. Uh-huh. Uh, but before we get into more of the characters, I want to talk. I think there's some oddly interesting stuff with the look. It has a couple different settings that I just don't think you expect to see, especially not like kind of a, a pseudo horror movie. Uh, you have a, like the De La Guardia. He lives in like a hermetically sealed like warehouse with like power equipment around. It's It's really odd. And like Angel lives in like a little basement room, like concrete and like cinder block walls, which it seems like these people come from money. So why do they live in such a dumpy place? Yeah. Why are they in a warehouse? Yeah, yeah I, exactly. I, I, at I all. I didn't understand like that setting. Uh, I bet an- that had everything to do with budget. Yeah. Uh, the antique shop is kind of neat. Um, I like it, all the little bits and pieces in it, like stuff you can see in the background. And obviously there's a bunch of clocks in it. Uh, and then the other one that I thought is kind of goofy, there's like a rec center, what it looks like, that they kind of dressed up for like a celebration. <laughs> and I think it's just, there's just a lot of goofy sets in this. Yeah, yeah. They're they're very interesting in terms of like making things. Um, and they seem like they're suggesting something, but they're just, they're, they don't even, they don't seem to fit with the tone. They don't seem to fit with the theme. I don't really understand why they're made the way they are. Right, like they're at that party and everyone's wearing tuxedos and I swear there's like a banner covering like a basketball hoop because it's filmed <laughs> in a gymnasium, it looks like. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. Um, yeah, there's a lot of just kind of goofiness, which I think you're probably right, like lends to the budget. Uh, I do. I mean, I don't I don't think it lends to the, the budget. I think it, it lends to why they shot where they shot. The budget doesn't need to be, you don't need to have a, a big budget to avoid being inherently goofy. Um but they they just didn't escape it because I guess they needed more money in order to see themselves as being taken seriously. Yeah, Ron Perlman actually took a huge budget cut. They said, like, "Yeah, I was thinking to like, be in this." Yeah, I was like, Can, "Is this possibly Ron Perlman's like first movie? Is this the only reason he's in it?" And I was like, "Oh wow, no, he's been around yeah. like all through the '80s. Like he was already an established star before that." But then he shows up in like Hellboy and stuff, so. Him and Guillermo del Toro are apparently like pretty good friends and he didn't have yep. a problem taking the budget cut for that. But He's also going to be in Nightmare Alley too. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I like him. Oh yeah, I love Ron Perlman. What an amazing actor. I never watched the like Sons of Anarchy. It's terrible. It's like a big part of that. Yeah, it's really bad. He also doesn't like his character. He said it wore on him uh, on a psychological sense like to play that type of just depraved human being yeah. for like five or six years. He was like, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, well, I'm glad he's moving on too what I assume is not a much lighter role in another Guillermo del Toro movie. <laughs> um, I also want to talk about the sound. Uh, I think 
the mix on this is not great. Like, you know, the, the part where the, all the cockroaches crawl out of the archangel statue. Mm. It's incredibly loud. And there's a lot of like horror movie stings in this that they just, they almost feel out of place. So I don't think the score is utilized very well in this. It's very loud too, especially with regard to the dialogue. Like if it weren't for the fact that we're already like subtitles, um, it'd be hard to hear anything right. that anyone is saying. Yeah, I've, I have trouble with the mix on this. It it feels like it was someone who didn't quite know what they were doing. Not that I could go in and like do a mix myself, but I feel like you should be able to listen and be like, oh, the dialogue is tough. Yeah, at least just levels. Like we don't need to be making a Christopher Nolan movie. Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that dude has got some troubles too. Um <laughs> The other thing I thought would have been more interesting, you only really hear like clock sounds when it's in the uh, the antique shop. Mm-hmm. And I would have liked to see the, or hear the clock sounds be like really subtle. And yeah. Then as he's like kind of succumbing to the, the Kronos, the device, have him like pick up at the end. Or yeah. like where the credits are playing and it's just the ticking of a clock. I thought that would have been a good utilize, uh, utilization of sound. And yeah. it doesn't appear in this at all. Yeah, there's actually like clocks are just represented in a lot of different places. Um, like there's one in the in the gym, in the house. There's actually a literal clock mascot at yeah. the thing. And man, do we zoom in and hang on him. Yeah, like, yeah. This is the point of the film. Yes. If you didn't know, it's all about clocks and time. And it's just very, it's very overdone. Yeah, I agree. If he had just like walked through the frame one time, that's all we need. He just, he practically like stops and waves at the camera. He's like, I'm here. <laughs> Remember clocks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> As if the title of the film didn't already like lend you to the idea of like, this is about time mm-hmm. and how we utilize it and stuff like that. Um, but we can move on to characters now. Uh, we can talk about Jesus Greece, uh, played by Federico Lupe. There is a really fun fact about that. It was originally written for Max von Sydow. Oh. Which is one of your favorites. I, I I found that and I had to had to cross reference and double check that it was a real fun fact, but that was who the role was originally written for. Yeah, and he like like kind of theme and tone of uh Ingmar uh Berryman's, uh film The Seventh Seal, which he stars in as like a like a crusader returning home and he's playing chess against the devil. So I mean there's a lot of religious overtones to this film, so that would have been it really I know that he would have been able to uh bring that same sort of character to this film and probably elevated it because um, it's not very good. And I don't think that uh, uh, Federico um, Lupi does a very good job here. Um, there's also just not a lot written for him. No, it, it, it every character feels like really hollow because it just doesn't feel like there's a lot. And even there, there are moments where it feels like it's supposed to be impactful where he's talking about his son and uh, Aurora's father. And like those don't even like really hit that hard. And I honestly don't even remember things. any of those. Oh, we can talk about it because I, I have a little. <laughs> I'll remind you because I have a little uh, bit I wrote down about it. I think the the most intriguing part of Jesus's character is when uh he's going into the fridge after he's used Kronos one time, and he picks up that pitcher of water and he just starts drinking it. I read this really funny tweet uh, tweet about how night water just hits different. <laughs> and I've totally been there. And I don't think there's a more authentic representation of night water than uh, what we see in Kronos. So <laughs> this movie really nailed night water. <laughs> and I think it's, uh, it also kind of leads into that part where he sees like the raw meat in his fridge and it's supposed to build up that idea of, oh, eventually he's going to need blood. And it's really obvious. It's just, that's why this movie is, I guess that's the one part where it isn't vague, but it's yeah. still it's still not entertaining because you've like led me to believe that. Um, do you have any thoughts on that character, really? No. So then I want to move to Aurora, and I think that's the only real positive you can pull from this movie is if you are kind of captured by the relationship between like grandfather and granddaughter, 
because that's kind of what the movie ends up being. It's like she wants to be around him. She wants to stay connected with him despite towards the end when he's like gruesome and deformed and everything. And that's really what the story is about is like their connection and everything around it is, is boring or vague. And I don't understand why it's in the movie. It's really just about them. There's really sweet scenes like where he's trying to figure out how to write that letter to his, his wife and he's crumpling them up and throwing them on the ground and she's gathering them up for him. There's a lot of like nice little sweet scenes. And uh, I mentioned like the, there's having like a little tea party because she's hidden the device and he talks about how her father uh, took apart his cigarettes and like threw them in the toilet because he was concerned that he was going to die of lung cancer. And he brings it up. He's like, you're doing the same thing. You know, you're concerned I'm going to be harmed by this device. And that's why she's like taking and hiding it. So there's like nice moments between them there. But that's literally the whole movie. And it takes place in like two scenes. And then we still have to watch like another hour and a half of this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's really like, again, like the the thing that bugs me the most is the things that Guillermo del Toro shows on screen are not the heart of the film. He creates uh, these action sequences and thinks it's not the heart of the film. It's uh, it's again, it's two things going on at at once. It's the story of like Angel and his uncle, and it's uh, the story of this of uh, this grandpa and um, this girl. And he tries to give them equal. He tries to do this in all of his films. He gives them equal weight, and you can't do that without deciding to split. Uh, your overall if the message of both of them goes towards the same thing that's fine but again both messages of both of these relationships are very different they're di- different themes and they don't come together oh the the de la guardias take place i mean they, they take up too much screen time oh absolutely. They're, they're just they're just the villain characters just keep them that but you're right they 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 give like so much background about them it's like who cares like that's not that's not what the film is about mm-hmm. like have them just be the antagonist and that's it you don't need to know about all the, the the little the the tome he's gotten like the little this little bit of text he's got in that old book you don't need to know that he thinks uh, bugs were created in God's image and they're his most favorite creatures like none of that matters and that leads me to my next question what do you think the bug means in this the bug inside of Kronos what I think it's a visually interesting scene because I think it's cool they probably built the whole set to have all the the cogs and like this actual practical effect bug yeah but what does it have to do with the story at all nothing i don't think so either <laughs> no i don't i think it's just a visual element it's it's interesting how this film is really more it has more like religious overtones that aren't talked about aren't explored the fact that his name is jesus gris it's like jesus cristo yes and uh how uh angel de la guardia um and you have all of these angels oh the, all the archangel statues and yeah stuff like that. yeah i mean there's a really interesting idea like the hanging of the angels in search of eternal life like seeking to overcome god and his designs by destroying his highest creations there's not a single shot that makes me care about that yeah um they feel more like lamps in a room with no substance and um and especially in relation to the themes at hand like they're they're everywhere there are lots of lots of religious things like when he's uh, reciting the prayer and he's taking the um and he's using the device on the stairs, which is just, it's its goofy. Because why is he on the stair landing using it? Why did he go there? Yes. And like, yeah, just the fact that like, so you have all of these religious things. They, they don't mean anything because none of your characters' uh, stories really lend themselves to it. Yeah. Um, and also he can't yeah. treat his subjects like in, with an interesting shot. There's yes. no interesting composition in oh, this yeah. entire film. Uh, I'm going to say Angel de la Guardia 
means guardian angel, and then Jesus Greece means gray Jesus. So they should have a religious meaning inside the story. Mm-hmm. But I mean, uh, Angel is clearly not a guardian angel in this. I think he's a subser- uh, uh, like a subversion because he's like yeah. he's technically his uncle's guardian angel. I guess you could. But I think of a guardian angel as someone who like is happy to go about protecting and caring for someone. He is all the time. He's like, what is this old bastard want? Like, yeah. He's annoyed every time he gets buzzed up. So to me, that's like not really a guardian angel. Yeah. It's a subversion. Yeah. Right. And that's why I think it, I think it would work if we cared about it, if he treated it like it was important, but it's not. And then I think the idea of gray Jesus is someone who is doing the right thing, but maybe in a morally obscure way. I like, thought it just sounded more like Jesus Cristo, not necessarily the fact that it is like the, the translation of Greece. Right. Um, that's, I, I suppose you can make that, yeah, like, you know, Gandalf the Grey type thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that, that was it's, some... it's, it's, it's vague again. It's yeah. too vague. Um, and in other places, like, this film is either too vague in what it's trying to say, or it's too obvious in its visuals, and the visuals that it's showing don't mean anything. Yeah. You talked about Jesus kind of slumping down the stairs. I have a, an, uh, a section on things that are unintentionally funny. And that is one of my favorite scenes where he he puts the device on and he's just like, he's got his pajamas unbuttoned. And it's just like, there are so many unflattering shots of uh, Federico Lupe in this that I'm surprised he went along with it because he looks like very sweaty all the time. And he's just doing all these, this is, like you said, nothing is framed very interesting. Nothing looks very good. And they he has like his lead actor just like kind of just this like a blubbering like blubbery mess on set and it, it none of these shots yeah. are interesting so that that it's scene like vaguely, made me laugh like, yeah and it's like vaguely sexual yeah. <laughs> oh and uh just before that he's like feverishly scratching at the wrap on his on his arm on his hand and, and then he like, like starts biting it yeah it was there was so much of it that it's just very goofy and then and then you move into the scene of uh him in the bathroom during that uh celebration and he's he's down there like essentially licking blood off the ground it's like how do you, how do you figure out how to utilize your actor in the worst way? And that's like how these scenes played out. I think. Yeah, I think so too. That bathroom shot uh, is actually uh, mostly a single take, which is very interesting. Oh. The way they've you've staged everything. I was like, I was really trying to find something in a film sense that made this film redeeming. And there's like a couple longer shots like that, but it's also very goofily staged. Like how Angel comes in at the end and just kicks him in the face. Oh yeah, yeah. Hannah pointed out that when he's on the ground licking the blood, there are six lights you can see reflected. And she was like, oh, I wonder if that is the same as like the, the scarab legs that pop out of the Kronos device because mm. it has six legs. And I was like, that is an excellent take. You are definitely reaching because I'm sure that's not intentional. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I would I would absolutely love to think, that, but that is not how Guillermo del Toro com- uh, composes his shots. Right. They're, they're, very, they're very Hollywood and just I need to fit all of my characters in the shot. Another unintentionally funny part is in that same scene, the one gentleman comes out of the bathroom stall and there's the blood on the counter and he's just pushing it in barehanded. Yeah. I was cracking up. I was like, who would ever do that? Yeah, exactly. And he was like complaining like he was a janitor or yeah. like like he was like talking to the guy, but he's clearly not like doesn't actually care that anybody's there. He's just rambling. It's just it's an incredibly just goofy shot. And I just I just don't know how you thought like this should be in my movie. I want to be taken seriously. Yeah. This needs to be in there. So I then want to move into some stuff that I think is intentionally funny. And probably my favorite part of the whole movie is the funeral director and the embalmer when they're working on uh, Greece's, uh, like they're getting him ready for the funeral. And they just 
like slapped silly putty on his forehead. <laughs> Tito Rolla's director, director, he's like, wow, Tito, the forehead is turning out perfect. Yeah. He's like, it's an art. He's like, here's the texture and the color. And it just looks like clay thrown yeah. on this guy's head. I, I, I don't think it is intentional. I think it was like, we, we have this line in here and I don't know where it goes. And he just said it at a time where it does not look like this character, this oh uh, bomber is doing like his job and like it's a, a work of art. I, I don't think it was self-aware because... Oh, you don't? No, because I don't... Guillermo del Toro does not make jokes like that that are self-aware. I guess I thought it was so obvious that there's no way I'm supposed to take this seriously. <laughs> and that's yeah. why I was like, this has to just be funny on purpose. <laughs> that's Exactly. It's like, I have this thing, this idea, it's all in my head. And then you get to actually shooting it and you realize, oh... That doesn't work. Yeah. But oh well. I love to. And uh, he's put him in the, uh, he, he's having him cremated. And Angel shows up and he's like, oh, I want to take a look. He's like, oh, do you want a medium or well done? Yeah. <laughs> it's great. That one was good. Um, those two characters, the embalmer and the funeral director, reprise their roles in a 2010 film called We Are What We Are. And I just think of all the characters to create a Chronos cinematic universe out of. The fact that it's those two guys who work in a funeral home is amazing to me. Yeah, and it makes sense because those are the ones that felt like, well, A, they're ridiculously out of place. Um, again. That's why I thought they were intentional comedic moments. <laughs> yeah, which is, again, what I want it. You don't want to be taken seriously if you make characters like this. I do also want to say there's, a, I don't know if you caught this, but he, uh, Tito, he goes to light the uh, like the furnace and it's not working. So he goes downstairs to tighten up some pipes and ties like a rag to him to fix it. Yeah. And when he comes back up the stairs, the door out of the funeral home is open. Right. Yeah. And that's how, uh, that's how senior Grice got out, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was cool. I mean, it's kind of obvious because the, uh, his casket was open, but I think it's just like little bits like that. Like you see him like go and close the door. That's like one neat little thing. I was like, Oh, he's escaped. And I knew that already, you know, before that. So that was fun little bit of filmmaking. I thought, the yeah. one fun bit that takes place in this whole movie. Yeah. And it's still very, it's meant to be very obvious. So I want to move on to the, uh, kind of the Greece versus angel fight at the end <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. He He's won. A, yeah. Like they both got what they wanted. So why does he then go and hit angel in the head on the way out? All it does is then put Aurora in danger like having to climb down a ladder on the side of a building. And I, I just, it felt like the story could have ended there where uh, Aurora and her grandfather leave. Angel gets what he wants. No big deal. Cause that character shouldn't matter to the story anyways. Mm-hmm. And then you have like kind of the big climax where he feels like he's going to eat her, you know, he's going to get, get her blood and he refuses that. And then he dies at the end. I think you could have just had it play out that way. And it makes way more sense. Like the idea that there was some, action climax at the end of this feels so out of place so dumb so dumb it doesn't fit thematically it doesn't fit with the the really the pacing of this film at all like in terms of it being like an action spy thriller or anything like that he he loves to seem to have plot lines like that in his films yeah and they're he doesn't treat them very well i don't even know what angel's motivation would have been to do that like so he got hit again and i'm like okay like I still get all the money. Yeah, I'm pissed, but like, you know, like, screw you, man. Like, I finally, like, there's vindication yeah, there. Like, like, on top of, like, uh, when he breaks his uncle's neck and he just, like, or, like, just before he does, he dances around this, like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so like, great. And it's shot horribly. <laughs> like It's really goofy. If if you wanted that, 
that shot to make any sense, that, that performance to make any sense, it needs to be back like 20 feet. And then suddenly that's a an amazing composition. That's an amazing shot. You have this row of 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 angels on on the side of him. You have him dancing like a maniac in in like this, his tomb, uh, his uncle's tomb, and his his uncle is just like lying there in his pool of blood. There's so many elements there that would that would absolutely that single shot would have made this film work in so so many ways. But he just like nah nah. I don't I don't understand how this camera works. Yeah, it's. Yeah, nothing seems to work in this, which is why, again, I I think that he has done stuff that is interesting to watch. While I agree it has its flaws, I am glad that his whole career wasn't shut down after this one really bad movie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So I want to end it off before we get to our final thoughts. What is Jesus' motivation in this? What is his motivation to use Kronos? Because I don't understand it. My thought is... It makes him look better without a mustache. He's uh, interested in dancing with uh, Mercedes again, which we need to get into her. That's part of the vagueness to this movie. Is he married to her? Is he not? They're, they seem to have a really weird relationship because uh, he talks about at the end, he's writing a letter to her and he's like, Aurora will stay with you now. Well, if they're married because she's referred to as his widow after he's they've gone to the funeral and everything. So they're married, but they don't live together. They seem to like be estranged lovers who have kind of reconnected and my thought is that when aurora's dad passed away their son they became estranged and but they just remained legally married i guess yeah like i don't think you like i don't think it matters um but it's also not explained in a way that uh that it doesn't that it works it's it's unnecessarily confusing like you could have just mentioned something like it at all or nothing Make it nothing and just show yeah. them in the house together. And it's totally fine. But the fact that he went to like such lengths to try and create depth of this relationship out of these people, but didn't finish it. Yeah, it's like <sighs> I'm, I'm supposed to have an emotional connection to them, but I don't, their relationship is totally undefined. So I have no idea how I'm supposed to feel about them, which is unfortunate because I think you could have done something interesting there. So I do have a problem with like that relationship, but, uh, Again, like what is what is the motivation to use this device? It doesn't seem to like he doesn't like wake up in the morning with a bunch of like vigor and gusto where he's like, oh, I can lift anything right now. And I and I've 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 I'm rejuvenated. I have the sense of vitality. Yeah. You don't get your the fly sequence of, yeah. of Jeff Goldblum doing like <laughs> his little Olympic routine. I'm not saying that this movie needed to be obvious in it. I just think it's too subtle in it for it to make sense why he would keep using this device because it seems to cause him great pain, not just like physically, but emotionally. It feels like he's like, ah, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to keep doing it. But it's like, why are you doing it? It doesn't seem like he gets as much out of it as it's taking from him. So I I have a real trouble with this movie because I don't understand why the main character is doing anything that he's doing. Yeah, he either needs to pick one thing, be super obvious with everything and make it about the story or be super subtle about everything and then it becomes about the themes. And he takes the worst middle ground. He does it frequently and here it's to the the worst effect that I think I've seen in any of his films. Yeah, this, again, I I think that he's done fine stuff before but this is a tough one to get through, I think. So, um... We'll move into final thoughts now. Uh, how would you score this one? How many glow sticks would you give this one? Because I actually think that's the only interesting bit of uh, imagery in the movie or like a visually interesting shots in the movie is uh, Aurora 
holding like a glow stick like underneath her blanket oh, or when yeah. they go into like the warehouse the final confrontation with the the de la guardias i like that's like the only visually interesting part is when yeah. she just keeps a glow stick with her and i think it's so neat she's almost like a wayfarer yeah i i like i think canon was like maybe they just couldn't afford flashlights and they, got, <laughs> they got a discount pack of like glow sticks that they could use that's funny it's it's interesting too because i don't i wonder how well that actually showed up on film they probably needed like additional light sources uh, in order for it to even um, show upon it as an image. So I don't know why. That, that had to have been like, yeah, like an industrial <laughs> I wonder. glow stick. But it's just kind of Probably neat. actually toxic. I just kind of <laughs> like the, the green light showing up some type places. So so out of, out of 10, how many glow sticks do you give this one? It's it's not good. I don't understand like, A, like why everyone loves Guillermo del Toro films. Like, no, I, I, do, <laughs> I do understand. I loved Pan's Labyrinth, saw The Shape of Water, uh, and I was like, well, it's no Pan's Labyrinth. Then I went back and watched Pan's Labyrinth. And I was like, oh, no, this is the same movie. It has all of the same problems. I was just so caught up in the magic of his films. that That's the thing. It's like his films are about magic and wonder. And there's no magic or wonder here. So this is not good. It's, it's, it's like a 3.4 for me. Right. I did make a note. I was like, he got much better at working like the fun fantasy mystical elements into his movie mm. as he's gone forward in his filmography. This was a really bad first crack at it because yeah. it, it, uh, it really doesn't work um, for me at all as far as like kind of the little mystic parts in it. Uh, my final thought would be is uh, this movie only works if you really buy into the relationship between uh, Greece and uh, Aurora. And uh, otherwise, it's a very boring Mexican vampire wandering around until the movie finally has the decency to end. Uh, I give it a, a three glow sticks out of ten. Three glow sticks. This was it was troubling to think of a director that I I know has done like stuff that is really popular in uh, kind of mainstream media. Like his movies are received very well, and to think like this was maybe his first one and it was not very good. No. I'm I'm really looking forward to the stuff I like in Pan's Labyrinth that we're going to do later and then uh, getting into Nightmare Alley. I think I'm hoping for a lot more. This is a good, like setting the bar low for me (laughs) and then then only having like good things to look forward to, I think. So I think with that, uh, we'll wrap this one up. Uh, You can um, reach us at now. This is podcasting one zero zero at gmail.com. You can find us at uh, any platform that you want to find your podcasts like iTunes music or Spotify. We also upload these to YouTube Go ahead and leave a comment. What did we do well? What did we do wrong? I like checking those. And uh, with that, uh, you've been listening to Now This Is Podcasting.